1: And welcome back to Witch Investigates. Before we get into this week's episode, I want to ask you a favour. I'd like you to tell me, yes, you what you think of this podcast what you like what's not working and anything you'd like us to explore or do differently that would help you get more value from these episodes. Please be brutally honest as this is how we evolve and improve. Send us an email at podcasts at witch.co.uk or give us a shout on social media at which UK. Now, welcome to my home office. To start this episode, I'm going to catch up with Hannah Downs. If you tuned in last time, you'll know she's a journalist here at Which, and she helped out on our recent foray into food waste. I'm speaking to her over video call. Hey, Hannah, how are you doing? Hi, Grace. I'm really well, thank you. Good, good. So, can you tell me what we're going to be focusing
0: on this time in this episode? Sure. So after looking at food waste last time, it got me really thinking about other types of household waste and its impact on both the environment, but also on our bank accounts, particularly at the moment when we're all trying to save money. So for this episode, we are going to be focusing on tech waste. So we're all probably guilty of hoarding old chargers and old headphones. So in this episode, we'll be really looking at what the impact is of hoarding or throwing away these items and how best you can rehome or recycle your your old and unwanted tech.
1: And how big is the
0: problem? So Britain is one of the worst offenders globally for producing e-waste and it's estimated that we're hoarding 527 million unwanted electricals in UK homes which is an average of 20 per household. So Britain could definitely be doing more in terms of recycling and rehoming unwanted tech. Cool well
1: let's dive right in. We will come back to you a little later on in the episode but bye for now.
0: Thanks Grace, bye.
1: Some of those stats Hannah mentioned are frankly shocking and it didn't take me long to find more. The UN now regards e-waste as the world's fastest-growing waste stream. Basically, we're chucking more tech away than ever before, seemingly oblivious to the precious metals and elements in them that have to be mined at a great cost, both financially and environmentally. Non profit organisation Material Focus found that UK residents could save the economy over £370 million by recycling electricals rather than simply dumping them in bins. But with most people unaware of the impact of tech waste, and with recycling options pretty limited, now is the time to tackle the problem. I'm Grace Farrell and this week's Witch Investigates asks, can we reduce our tech waste mountain? Which Investigates is brought to you by the UK's Consumer Champion. We work to make life simpler, fairer and safer for everyone. We've got new episodes out every fortnight, diving deeper into the issues that matter. If you've got something you'd like us to investigate, give us a shout at whichuk UK on social media or email us at podcasts at witch.co.uk. up. It turns out I'm not the only one with a box of old phones in my cupboard.
2: We've done some research which suggests over 150,000 tonnes of small electricals are lost. They don't go to recycling. There's also millions of items that people hoard in their homes too because they're not quite sure what to do with them.
1: I learned more about refurbished tech and whether it's a wise investment.
2: So I
3: bought five different devices. I wouldn't say don't try it again, although, yeah, just be prepared for perhaps things not going completely smoothly.
1: And I hear how the future could be brighter, thanks to some incredible science.
4: There's also a company called N2S. They use a technique called bioleaching, which is where they basically send in microbes, so little tiny living organisms. They chew up the precious metals and then you put them all in a solution and then they release the precious metals and that's how you get them back.
1: pretty mad, right? As ever, today's episode wouldn't be possible without our brilliant experts. And I'm always so grateful when they give up their time to chat on the podcast. So here are two people who are absolutely key to this week's investigation.
2: We at Material Focus have a a mission, a vision of a world in which materials are never wasted. And one of the fastest growing waste streams in the world and in the UK is e-waste, electrical waste.
1: Material Focus, who I mentioned at the beginning, they've done a huge amount of work on the issue of tech waste. Scott Butler is their executive director.
2: Per head of population the UK is the second highest generator of e-waste, of old electricals. In that regard, it's a big issue.
1: According to the UN, only Norwegians produce more tech waste per person than us here in the UK. It's a pretty unexpected stat, given Norway's wholesome reputation. As for the UK, I asked Scott to elaborate on just how bad it is here.
2: We've done some research which suggests over 150,000 tonnes of small electricals are lost. They don't go to recycling. There's also millions of items that people hoard in their homes too because they're not quite sure what to do with them.
1: There's a cupboard under my TV that's literally full of old cables, broken phones and those crappy earphones you get on airplanes. Most of the time, I put that cupboard firmly to the back of my mind. But I can tell that's going to be difficult during this investigation. In fact, let's play bingo. Give yourself a point every time Scott mentions something you have in your home. I'm going to ask our editor, Eric, to slip in some suitable music.
2: can all fess up to this there'll be a drawer or two somewhere in the house the way you put an old HDMI cable a nokia charger an old digital camera and think i'll take that data off i'll take the photos off there i'll do something with that oh i'm not sure what that's for but i'm sure i'll find out one day and that builds up so there's a combination of stuff that's being thrown away and stuff that's being hoarded and we did some calculations and we think if all that stuff that's being lost and hoarded was recycled then you could essentially take over a million cars off the road in relation to the carbon benefit that you're losing.
1: Right, so what did I tick off? Yep, I've got about 20 old HDMI cables, definitely got a few Nokia chargers from back in the day, and probably three cameras. Let us know what you ticked off by tweeting us at WhichUK. We'll get back to recycling a little later. But first, I want to mention another issue – that's harder to spot
2: some of the most valuable materials are inside tech but they're sort of hidden away from us we don't think of them like that so it's often referred to or it can be referred to as like an urban mine around us everywhere in all this tech the stuff that the big huge mines are digging out of the ground so it's eminently more preferential to be recycling these resources much closer to home
1: Now I want to introduce you to brilliant expert number two.
4: Your mobile phone contains between 30 and 60 different types of elements, which is loads.
1: This is Dr Elizabeth Ratcliffe from the Royal Society of Chemistry.
4: Out of those, several are facing supply risks. So we identified six that are in most people's mobile phones and are also facing quite urgent Supply So we don't say that they're running out because we don't know for sure how much of these elements are present in the earth. But we do know that they're in the earth in very minimal amounts and the current mines are kind of being maxed out at the moment.
1: As technology advances, manufacturers are increasingly turning to these precious metals to help improve things like functionality to ultimately fulfil our thirst for convenience.
4: Those elements are gallium, arsenic, yttrium, silver, indium, and tantalum. They're all different. They all have quite unique properties. So indium, for example, is used to make a compound called indium tin oxide. And that's very special because it's transparent, it conducts electricity, and it bonds strongly to glass. And that makes it perfect for touchscreens. There's also something called tantalum, which is really good for making tiny electronics. So you can see how that would be useful in a mobile phone. So each of these elements, whilst they're really important for our personal tech, they have all these other uses like sustainable technology, things like wind turbines, solar panels. So that's why it's so important that we don't waste them.
1: When I picture the future, it's brimming with tech. But actually, there are lots of research papers that suggest the available supply of a whole range of metals will run out within 50 years or less.
4: They're a non-renewable resource like fossil fuels, right? So because elements, they've kind of been in the Earth since the Earth began. They were created in stars at the beginning of the universe. They're not something we can make. They're this resource that exists on Earth. And that's it.
1: So unless we can find new, renewable resources, change the manufacturing process, recycle way more, or simply just stop buying as much tech, we're in big trouble. I'd assume that phones would be the main contributor to our tech waste mountain. But there's also a newer kid on the block that's causing massive problems.
2: And you've got some other sort of interesting things, something that's come out of nowhere. I don't know if you've noticed around you, these brightly coloured, like highlighter pen looking single use vapes.
1: Single-use vapes are marketed as a healthier alternative to smoking. With flavours like watermelon and Coca-Cola likening them to sweets, their sales have gone through the roof.
2: Here you've got a product that's essentially metal, plastic and lithium, which is a really important material for the green technology revolution we're all looking for. It's a core part of electricity storage, electric vehicles and the like. It's being sold by its millions. We estimate now that at least a million, probably much more than that, are just being thrown away every week.
1: Lithium's a key ingredient in the reusable batteries you find in phones and electric cars. So it's a crucial resource to have at hand. If it ends up in the bin, it can't be reused. And the more we throw away, the more we need to mine to keep up with demand. Now, a huge deposit of lithium was recently discovered under Bolivia's iconic salt flats. It featured in the BBC series, Simon Reeves' South America. And while mining the material could, in theory, make Bolivia one of the richest countries in the world, it also risks destroying one of our planet's most beautiful natural wonders. Now, we're heading towards the end of October. Halloween is just around the corner, and dare I say it, Christmas will soon be upon us. And slap bang in the middle is the absolute online carnage that is Black Friday. Traditionally, the first Friday after Thanksgiving in the US, it marks the start of the Christmas shopping season. And it's a trend that's taken off big time here in the UK. According to Statista, Brits spent upwards of £9 billion on Black Friday purchases last year, up from £2 billion just five years earlier.
2: When we did our market research, over 40% of UK adults were planning to buy tech over that festive trading period. So that's from Black Friday through to Christmas. So tech, gadgets and gizmos are a big part of what people buy over that period. The focus is very much on buying. It's very much on consumption. And for us, we're trying to communicate a more mindful sort of approach to that.
1: Here at Which, we agree we need to be more sensible with our purchases. During my chat with Elizabeth on the scarcity of precious metals, this need to reframe our consumer habits was something that came up as well.
4: What we actually say to people is recycling is a last resort. So really you want to be reducing your consumption in the first place.
1: How to be a conscious consumer is something we'll cover next. As the cost of living crisis continues, could refurbished tech be a more affordable option? Could our unwanted items promote social inclusion? And if we are going to recycle, what's the best way to do it? More after this.
3: Hi there, Rob here. Now, I'm the producer of Witch Investigates, but I wanted to tell you about one of our other podcasts here at Witch. It's called Witch Shorts and every week we bring you the very best of our articles from across witch.co.uk and our various magazines. With expert narration we make these available for you to listen to wherever you might be covering everything from travel to money, tech, gardening and more. Now we release new episodes every Wednesday so just search Witch Shorts wherever you're listening to this podcast.
1: This week on Which Investigates, we're looking at whether, and if so, how, we can reduce our tech waste mountain. We've already heard about the scale of the problem here in the UK, and the precious metals that we're consigning to the bin all too regularly. For the rest of today's episode, I'd like to focus on what we can do now to make a difference. It comes down to the old classic, those three Rs, reduce, reuse, recycle. We know we need to reduce the number of tech purchases we're making, but how do we go about doing that? Here's Dr Ratcliffe from the Royal Society of Chemistry again with the results of their recent survey.
4: Most people said that they wish that their devices lasted longer, but 68% said they found it too difficult to repair them. 71% said they found it too expensive to repair them. So it is something that I think a lot of people don't think is very accessible to them.
1: I'm definitely one of that 71%. My phone screen smashed a few months ago. And to get it fixed, I was quoted over £300, which I just thought was insane. So I ended up buying a new one. And I'm sure you can guess where the broken one now lives. We spent a lot of time on this topic in the first season of Which Investigates. At the time, the UK had just agreed to bring in new right-to-repair laws after pressure from consumer groups like Which. As part of the legislation, manufacturers now have to make spare parts available for washing machines, washer-dryers, dishwashers, refrigerators and TVs. Repairs also need to be doable using everyday tools. According to the government, this will reduce the 1.5 million tonnes of electrical waste that we generate each year, which is good news. But let's hear that clip from Dr Ratcliffe again.
4: Most people said that they wish that their devices lasted longer, but 68% said they found it too difficult to repair them. 71% said they found it too expensive to repair them. So it is something that I think a lot of people don't think is very accessible to them.
1: So do these new laws actually make a difference? If we don't have the knowledge that's needed to repair things in the first place, the fact these spare parts exist don't really solve the problem. But one organisation that is helping the cause is the Restart Project. They host parties called Restart Parties, where people come along with their broken tech. I put a link to their website in the show notes. On to the second of our three R's then, reusing the tech which would otherwise become part of the tech waste mountain.
2: I think we are becoming less bothered about that secondhand label that might be seen as a bad thing. It's actually, if it's good sustainable behaviour, then it's, you know, I think more people are buying it as a good thing and going, yeah, that can save money, but I can also stop resources being used unnecessarily.
1: Now, I'm a huge fan of reusing stuff, particularly clothes, furniture and kids' toys. So it's great to know it's becoming more of a done thing with tech. There's a huge market out there for secondhand electronics, and it could save you lots of cash.
3: Refurbished tech is essentially a used device, but it has been looked over by a professional. So whichever retailer you happen to be buying it from, they'll have their own checks and balances as to what constitutes... uh, a good refurbished product and they'll let you know what condition it's in, what they've done to it, and sell it to you for a pretty good reduced price.
1: Michael Passingham is from the product testing team here at Witch. I'll find out more about the work he did earlier this year to test just how good, or sometimes not so good, some of this refurbished tech can be. But first, though, I was keen to find out how these second-hand tech marketplaces actually work
3: each retailer has its own set of standards that they typically list on their websites to sort of tell you what you should expect. Because if you're buying, for example, a refurbished phone, they'll give you basic information about its condition. And that is to say like good, very good, or excellent, for example. And while you won't get a picture or any specifics about the exact device you're getting, you can see from their condition information pages what you're likely to get. So maybe a good is typically like pretty scratched up with some noticeable damage, whereas excellent might be almost as good as new with very little actually having needed to be done by any of their technicians to get it ready for sale.
1: Well, we wanted to put these claims to the test. So a few months ago, Michael set himself a challenge. Armed with £1,000, he bought various second-hand products from a number of different sites with mixed results.
3: I did buy a few products from a few different refurbished sites and it was a mixed bag. For example, I bought a TV from Appliances Direct I saved roughly just over half price on it. It was originally £549 and I got it for £253. It was in a 50-inch LG TV, so pretty good from 2020 as well. However, it arrived in a box that was possibly in the worst condition I've ever seen any box arrive at my home. And once I'd unboxed it, it turns out they'd sent it with the wrong stand. To their credit, they weren't unable to source a stand and they dealt with collection just fine. On the other hand, I also bought some wireless earbuds for about half price, and those were really good. They were clean, refurbished, and they worked really well. So I think for the most part, as long as you're buying something relatively simple, so perhaps not the TV, which there's lots more that can go wrong with the TV. If you're buying something smaller, you're more likely to have a good experience, especially if you know uh, what condition it's going to be in.
1: And what about the rest of the experiment?
3: So I bought five different devices. I bought a refurbished Windows 10, inverted commas, laptop from eBay, from a refurbished seller. Kind of with the knowledge that it was an ex-business laptop that was much older than Windows 10 and it looked like it was from probably about 10 years ago. And in fairness to this uh, refurbished seller on ebay it arrived in great condition for an ex-business laptop it was really impressive but it was 10 plus years old so it wasn't exactly the fastest thing in the world and i don't think it was worth the money paid for it but i also bought an iphone that came in excellent condition that was also from an ebay refurbished seller i bought those headphones that i just mentioned that were also in great condition work really well The TV experience that I've mentioned—that was the Appliances Direct—that saved a fair amount of money. And I think had I got luckier, or had I been less unlucky with it, I think it would have been a great money saving. You know, given the fact that I got my money back and they dealt with a return without any hassle, I wouldn't say don't try it again. Although, yeah, just be prepared for perhaps things not going completely smoothly.
1: It's an interesting set of results. And it's reassuring to hear there are such decent deals to be had. And according to Michael, there are a strict set of rules all secondhand platforms have to follow.
3: Unlike when buying from a seller on eBay, and you know eBay has relatively good customer protection, but there's always going to be stuff that slips through the net. All of these companies have to conform to the consumer contracts regulations and the Consumer Rights Act as well, unlike an individual seller on eBay. So there is a certain legal standard they have to meet to do this stuff. So they do have to have a certain standard if they're selling direct to consumers.
1: At the end of our chat, I got Michael's top tips for buying secondhand. So if you're feeling inspired to give it a go, listen to this bit carefully.
3: The biggest thing I would suggest is make sure you understand what warranty you're getting with a given product. A lot of the sellers we looked at offered at least a year, but then others, such as Appliances Direct, would only offer as little as three months on some products, which then they can upsell you to an extended warranty. But that ended up adding quite a lot to the cost of things, which meant... Often, it might look cheapest to buy it from Appliances Direct or one of the other Bioc Direct companies.
1: Here's another important one, and something I've fallen foul of a few times.
3: Make sure you look at what the company's policy on battery life is. So some are very specific. For example eBay, when they're selling phones, say a phone must have at least 80% of its original battery capacity remaining to be sold. And that's kind of hard to measure unless it's an iPhone, because only iPhones show you battery health, or at least commonly show you battery health anyway. So that's something to look out for, see what their policies are on that. So you can kind of figure out what kind of battery life you're likely to expect.
1: And finally, a piece of advice that Which is actually very invested in.
3: If you're buying something that's more than a couple or three years old, check to see whether it's still getting updates from the manufacturer. Because if you buy a phone that is no longer supported or is going to run out of support quite soon, you're going to end up with a device that is slowly, slowly becoming more of a security liability for you. And we don't like to encourage people to buy things that are going to go out of date so quickly. We actually have on wix.co.uk for phones and now other tech devices as well, an update checker, so you can kind of see roughly how long you can expect a given device to last in terms of security updates, which is another really important factor when buying any kind of smart product these days.
1: In a survey we commissioned for this podcast, only 11% of respondents said they knew exactly what to do to ensure their smart device was secure, or when it might stop receiving updates. So I've put a link to our phone support calculator in the show notes so you can try it and see how long you've got left with your phone. Hannah's also back with what we're calling for in this area here at Witch.
0: So we've been calling for new legislation that ensures the makers of smart tech adhere to a new set of measures. This includes telling customers how long a smart device will receive security updates for, which we believe is hugely important to making products more secure. We also want a clear point of contact to report vulnerabilities, and this would allow buyers or organisations involved in security testing, like which, to raise security vulnerabilities and get them fixed. The good news is that the government seemed to be listening. So in April 2021, they announced the snappily titled Product, Security and Telecommunications Infrastructure Bill. And this, when in place, will ensure companies do follow our demands. The government did say the new laws would come into force last year. However, it has only just passed through the Lords and seems set to be given royal assent in the next few weeks. Thanks, Hannah.
1: I'm hoping that today's episode has so far been pretty relevant to most of us. But it's worth remembering that not everyone has access to the kind of devices we've been talking about.
2: A very specific challenge around tech is digital inclusion, which is another area that we're working on. So it was very prevalent in the pandemic and lockdowns, kids at home without access to IT to be able to do homeschooling. But it's not just that. The world is ever more digital, so that you need access for NHS bookings, searching for jobs, information on employment benefits. All these things are increasingly digitised. So another call-out would be if people do have old smartphones or old laptops or old tablets, one thing they should really think about doing is looking at our donation pages. We work with an organisation called the Reuse Network, who have a lot of charities dotted around the country who are refurbing white goods and appliances so that the people who are socially disadvantaged in accommodation can have the basics, the washing machine, the fridge, the kettle and the toaster.
1: But say your tech is beyond repair and it's destined for the bin, how do you recycle it? The evidence shows it's still pretty tricky to do.
2: What we've been doing over the last two and a bit years is working on various initiatives to help more people be aware of the fact that they should always, as a minimum, be recycling their electricals, that anything with a plug battery or cable is included. So no matter how sleek and slick a gadget or a gizmo looks inside of it is steel it's aluminium it's copper it's lithium and we're working with local authorities and retailers and community sector organisations to raise the profile of this issue
1: dr ratcliffe told me how her own local area has been tackling the problem i've had a lovely chat
4: with a representative from lambeth council who has recently introduced a curbside collection service for e waste So she told me that only six boroughs out of the 33 London boroughs have a curbside collection service. And so basically what they've done was they listened to local residents who were saying that they were kind of frustrated with not having an easy way of recycling e waste. And so they've introduced a really simple system, which is that if you've got batteries or small electronics, so anything from the size of a phone up to the size of a toaster, you can just put it in a bag, a plastic bag, tie it up and tie it to the handle of your normal recycling bin. And then when the people come round, they'll take it and they'll put it in a special part of the truck and then it will get taken to a local recycling facility and then they separate it out and the batteries get recycled in a special battery recycling facility and then all the technology gets broken down into parts so that it can be reused. But I thought that was really, really nice because it's almost zero effort on the part of residents
1: That is brilliant and something I really wish my borough would take up because let's be honest, we lead busy lives and if it was just easier to recycle, way more of us would do it.
4: Over half of people we surveyed said that they were worried about the environmental effect of their e-waste. So people do care about it and they are aware of it. They just don't know what to do and if they do know what to do, they find it too much hassle and there's only so much the individual can do if kind of the systems are stacked against them, you know.
2: Ease and convenience is the thing. I think most people are, are pro-recycling. They're pro-environment. You know, we we, we conform. There's Very few people are really anti it. But the, the, the issue is around the ease. We've got to accept that we're all living busy lives. We're being bombarded with messages all, all the time. With Recycle Your Electricals, we're unapologetically positive. So we want people to be aware of a good thing that they can do.
1: I have to say, I've been really inspired by Material Focus. They're doing some brilliant work and they've got a load of resources about how and where to recycle your tech. Again, I'll pop a link in the show description. If we can recycle more, there just might be some hope for the future thanks to some incredible scientific advancements. If we want to finish on a positive note, Dr Ratcliffe told me about some brilliant new techniques which could allow us to find new uses for those precious elements, rather than just consigning them to the bin.
4: So scientists are working at ways of making mining more efficient, more environmentally friendly, or less environmentally unfriendly, I should say. So there's that, and then there's also looking at maybe ways of building tech that's not so heavily reliant on these precious metals. Which is hard because these precious metals have really specific talents. They have really specific properties. You can't just straight swap them for other things. But there is work being done in that area. I believe that I think it's silicon tin oxide is being investigated as a replacement for indium tin oxide in phone screens. And silicon is like much more abundant than indium. So if that works, that could help alleviate a lot of pressure on indium. And then, of course, you've got sort of the end part of it. So there's a lot of chemists particularly working on how to extract the precious metals from
1: technology. And what you're about to hear may blow your mind.
4: There's also a company called N2S. They use a technique called bio which is where they basically send in microbes, so little tiny living organisms. They chew up the precious metals. And then you put them more in a solution and then they release the precious metals and that's how you get them back. So there's all sorts of really clever science going on to make it better for recycling. So we we can all play our part as consumers. We make sure that we take the stuff for recycling. And at the other end, you've got these scientists who are working on clever ways to actually make sure the recycling process happens as efficiently as possible.
1: I realise I say this a lot at the end of our episodes, but it's clear we have a long way to go. I do think, though, that the benefits of the repair, reuse, recycle mantra really are obvious. So I hope it's something people become more conscious of. I'm going to find some time to go through my cupboard under the TV and sort through the mess. I'm sure there's loads of stuff I can recycle. And I'm definitely going to consider buying refurbished tech in the future.
2: This whole thing about e-waste and tech is it's like anything. It's a richer story than people instantly give it credit for. It's not just about recycling a washing machine or a television or a fridge. And not that that's not really, really important. It encompasses fire risks. It encompasses climate change. It's talking about material security, you know, resource security in in the future. It's about digital inclusion. It's about social mobility. So it's a very rich and complex sector.
1: I asked Scott to leave us with his number one takeaway.
2: So my top tip really is just buy smartly. Buying refurb, we're a small organization, all of the IT and tech we buy is refurb and we have had no issues with it whatsoever. It's been of great quality and and it's worked to make that decision. If you have any old bits of tech, what I did was just held on to them. I contacted my local council, who picked up textiles and tech at the same time. So I bagged up my electricals, which is the advice we give on RecycleYourElectricals.org.uk. And when I had a bag big enough, I looked at the best solution for me. And what was great for me is I had someone who could come to the doorstep.
1: Thanks for listening to this episode of Witch Investigates. I really hope you got a lot out of it. We'll be back in a couple of weeks with our next instalment. It's the final episode of our sustainability mini-series, and we're going to delve into the murky world of fast fashion. If you've got any other ideas for consumer topics we can investigate, give us a shout on social media or over email. Our email address is podcasts at which.co.uk. And we do have other podcasts that you can listen to as well. Just search for Which Money and Which Shorts wherever you're listening. I'd also recommend subscribing to our free email newsletters. They're genuinely useful and are packed with money-saving and sustainability tips and can be found at witchcouk forward slash newsletters. Today's episode was presented by me, Grace Farrell, written by Rob Lilly. produced by Hannah Downs, editing and original music is by Eric Breer, and our executive producer is Angus Farker. Special thanks this week go to Michael Passingham, Lisa Barber, Andy Lachlan and everyone else here at Witch. And I'll be back in two weeks with our next investigation.